on the boards. He and his company are pygmies beside Westfield's men. They were more than a match for us today. Firethorn's anger flared. What? he exclaimed with a voice like a wounded buffalo. You dare to compare those ranting buffoons with us? You have the gall to mention the name of that vile toad Randolph alongside my own? Shame on you, Nick. I speak as I find, said Nicholas firmly. It's folly to be blinded by naked prejudice. Giles Randolph will never eclipse you as an actor, but Banbury's men have nevertheless put us in the shade this past week. While our audiences have dwindled, they have unleashed this new tragedy on the capital and won golden opinions from everyone. Including you, it seems. I went merely to see if reports of its excellence were true. Have you no better way of spending the Sabbath? Yes, retorted Nicholas. The best way of all is to be on our stage at the Queen's Head, competing with our rivals. That's where I'd love to spend my Sunday afternoons. But we're kept idle by edicts that prevent us playing on the Lord's Day because we are within the city limits. A rank injustice, agreed Firethorn. While we sit on our hands, Giles Randolph and his miserable actors can ply their trade out here in Shoreditch free from city restraints. Both playhouses, the curtain and the theatre, flourish at our expense. It's monstrous, Nick. All the more so for me, living cheek by jowl with our rivals. There's no more devilish sound for an actor's ears than that of thunderous applause for others. They were in the parlour of Firethorn's house in Old Street, only minutes away from the theatre where Lamberto had been performed. It was impossible for the actor not to hear the lengthy ovation that it had earned. Each second had been a separate dagger through his heart. He sat down heavily in a chair and turned a melancholy eye on his visitor. Did the play really deserve its plaudits? He asked. Every one of them, replied Nicholas honestly. What of Randolph? Inspired. The best I've seen from him. Well, that's not saying much growled Firethorn, stung by the praise of the one actor in London who could threaten his primacy. The fellow is a raw beginner, still green and untried. It were an achievement for him simply to stand upright and remember his lines. Nicholas Bracewell showed his usual tact. His friend had suffered enough. It would be cruel to point out that Giles Randolph had given a towering performance in a remarkable new play. And the actor-manager of Westfield's men needed no reminding that his company had hit a difficult patch. Takings were down, audiences cool, morale among the actors low. Unable to offer a new play for several weeks, the troupe had fallen back on its stock of old dramas, many of which now looked tired and stale. Westfield's men were no longer leading the way in the theatre. Their supremacy was fading, and Firethorn knew it only too well. His head sank to his chest. Who wrote this tragedy of theirs? He muttered. John Vavasor and Cyrus Haim. Why did they not bring it to us first? Because of the way you dealt with Master Vavasor, explained Nicholas, when he offered you his history of Edmund Ironside. You told him your children had written better things on their slates. And so they had. 
that was untrue and ungenerous. The play had faults, and many of them, but there was great promise locked away inside it. Had you seen fit to encourage that promise, instead of condemning it outright, Master Vavasor's loyalty would have been bought. Instead, said Nicholas, pointedly, he found a co-author in Master Haim who has lifted his art to new heights. On his own, John Vavasor was lacking, but with Cyrus Haim beside him, he's transformed. Firethorn was dismissive. The success of theirs is like a beam of sunlight he said with contempt. It dazzles for a while, then vanishes forever behind the clouds. We'll not hear of Vavasor and Haim again. Assuredly, we will. Why so, Nick? The rumour is that they have already finished a second play, said Nicholas, trying to break the news gently, and it goes into...